I'm Elizabeth Ames, and this is the Women in Product podcast, where we share the stories of women product leaders, the careers they've built, the challenges they've overcome, and why they love building tech products. My guests today are Pamela Rue Castillo and Paolo Rios Schaff. They are two Latinas making a difference in product. Pamela was most recently product manager for economics search and discovery at Bloomberg. And Paola was the associate director of product management at Wayfair. But both recently took advantage of the strong market demand for women in product roles to advance their careers. They both spoke at the 2021 Women in Product Conference on leading with storytelling but there is much more to their individual stories. Let me start by saying welcome to both of you. It's great to have you on the podcast. So I thought today we could start where I often start with guests, which is tell me how you got started in product. What was your path into product management and your first role? Paolo, do you want to start? Great. Thank you so much. Uh, It's wonderful to be here. And I appreciate you calling to us and uh, telling our story, which is always a really big, important piece. And I think in some ways, a responsibility nowadays. So I love to tell my story of starting in product as a story of being good at Excel. I was working as an editorial assistant. I got into the office of the editorial director and basically fix her Excel spreadsheet problems. It was total chance when she said, how do you feel about doing all the technology ancillaries for all our products? And I had no idea what she meant. Um, So I'm not afraid to say that my start and for years felt like I didn't even know I was doing product. I had no concept. I was learning to talk to users, engage with them, take down their feedback, go present products in schools, um, share that feedback, summarize it, categorize it, look at that and sales numbers, try to make connections without really understanding what I was doing. And uh, that execution with intent didn't come to me until much later in my career. Yeah. And Pam? So my background was in investment banking. And in a lot of ways, now looking back, investment banking is pretty similar to product management, especially in the area where I was because I was focused on helping companies go public. So essentially initial public offering, follow-on offerings. And in that sense, you're always managing stakeholders. You're managing the client. You're managing different um, other investment banks you're working with and collaborating with. And so a lot of the skills of a product manager, I was already, without knowing, um, working on as I built my career in finance. And and then the Bloomberg um, recruiter reached out to me and said, do you want to build a product that calculates the net worth of billionaires? And I thought it was a strange business for Bloomberg to go into. I didn't understand exactly what they meant by that. But what they sold me on is they said, um, when I met the hiring manager, he said, how would you like to meet the individuals that drive the world's economy? And that I think was really exciting because he basically said, you know, well, you're going to fly all over the world, meet all these decision makers, 
and build a, a product that essentially is going to help us break more news. And, and I did. I ended up meeting over 20 um, billionaires worldwide. I went to a lot of conferences to meet with them, um, you know, different parts of the world, understand how, how they build their empires, and then understand also what they invested in, how they became successful, what kind of philanthropy they cared about. And then the process of understanding them, their motivations, figuring out how we could build a product that will would um, enable us to break news um, and also enable us to get closer to those billionaires. And so that was such a fantastic ride. And I said, I want to do this for the rest of my career. This has been a lot of fun. I mean, that is such an unbelievable hook for a recruiter to have. Is it not like, you know, hey, how'd you like to travel all over the world and meet billionaires? And, you know, it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. People come from a lot of different places with a lot of different backgrounds. Um, and I think that that adds to what's so fascinating about the, the profession, if you will. Um, and I know it can also be confusing for people then like there's not a straight path in it's not like do a do b do c um and i think your stories are a great illustration of that you know that it's it's not it's interesting how people get in right and um so you know my second question is always like what kept you there what what did you love about it <laughs> why did you stay so pam you want to you want to take a stab at that what's always kept me at in certain roles or um, at certain companies that have, has always been the people for, for the billionaires that we, we basically built that product in three months and then, and then kind of ramped it up and expanded it and built it out. But um, that fire drill that we had where we essentially were working 80 hours a week, if not more, was because the team was so motivated behind the vision of what that product could become. It was having an incredible team behind a strong vision with great leadership and then on top of that, what's kept me in it after that is just, I love solving problems. I love, you know, um, being able to understand how technology could help leverage, you know, be leveraged to solve problems. What I like about it that I think is a little bit different from finance is that you get to learn about many different areas. So you have to be strong at strategy. You have to understand finance, sales, marketing, communications, design, cross-collaboration, user needs, engineering. I mean, the, the list is endless, right? So in that sense, someone like me who is intellectually very curious and always wants to learn more and always wants to figure out how can we solve these problems, that's why it's such an appealing area because there's always new problems to solve and there's always new technology that could be implemented. And so I think that's what has kept me there and that's why I love it. A lot of what Pam says uh, resonates I always answer this question and say, it is definitely the intersectionality of all the disciplines. So I graduated with a degree in economics, but was super curious and interested in political science. And I also got like a little bit of international business and did a minor there. And I studied languages and studied French. Um, so I consider myself a generalist. I feel like throughout my life, it's like, whatever fascinated me was the last thing that I was reading. And that's, I think, the magic of technology, <laughs> that there's always something new, right? So there's some, always something interesting and something that, is, that fills you with curiosity. Um, but that idea of being interested in something for a limited amount of time, paying like a deep dive attention to that problem, 
and then having to work across many people that are actually experts to try and solve that problem is something that I find very interesting. And that's product in general. I wouldn't even say that that's technology itself, because many of the problems that you solve in product management end up being less technical than you think. The problem of relationships, the problem of understanding timelines, the problem of understanding other people's obstacles to what they are trying to do in a cross-functional environment. So I love that. I love that deep dive in that moment of if we all are trying to get to this particular feature or this particular release, but we have like this different obstacles, how do you like unpack all of that and help each other out? And it feels like a puzzle. You guys have really touched on a, a few things that I hear over and over. You know, one is really that ability to problem solve, but I always feel like underpinning that ability to problem solve and that love of problem solving is also this sort of unquenchable curiosity about things, right? Like always willing to like dig down a level or, you know, go in slightly different directions, try and think about things differently. Um, You know, when you have that curiosity, I think product is such a great place for you because uh, it it is never the same thing day after day after day, right? uh, In its fullest form, if you will. Um, The other thing that you guys really touched on that I think is uh, really interesting is, and you mentioned this, Pam, is this notion of you really have to look at all these different aspects. You have to look at strategy. You have to look at, you know, the marketplace and customers and, you know, all of the technology, all of these different pieces. And one of the trends that we have seen very strongly in the marketplace is this move to um, a demand for product people, product leadership at the C-level, you know, so chief product officers, and also people who have a lot of product expertise moving into CEO and COO and, you know, those bigger roles, or even as, you know, on boards or as advisors to startups, et cetera, those skills that product leaders develop over time fit uh, comfortably in, in those worlds, right? You know, they really prepare you for that bigger picture of things. Um, so I think it's, it's interesting, you know, there's a strong connection there. Yeah. There's always, it feels like there's always things to learn about when you're in product, right? You know, something new. So absolutely. Maybe you'll see us in the C-suite in a couple of years. Oh, that would be so great. I would love that. Yes, please. I like that foreshadowing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, You know, early on in my conversations with the two of you, you know, we talked a lot about how Latinas are definitely underrepresented in product management. I mean, in tech overall, but it seems like particularly so in the product side of things, right? So what do you think the primary reasons for that are? I mean, what what do you guys see? I think you have a, a clearer picture of that than I might. So... Pavla, do you want to start us off there? Sure, yeah. Um, Pam and I actually have created this friendship over the pandemic. And now I will say are proud members of what the media is calling the great resignation, right? We, with with you, Elizabeth, you called it, I think, the great reevaluation, yeah. which I love that. 
I think that it's so true that you get to a point and think, where am I heading? And I think the pandemic by stopping kind of the world gave a lot of us a, a little bit of space. Um, I really enjoy kind of thinking more thoroughly and mindfully about underrepresentation, diversity, and what it means for me, because I consider myself very privileged as a Latino woman. Mm -hmm. um, I'm highly aware that some of the opportunities for me to leave the job that I had in retail and move back to educational technology are because of the pandemic, are because of this emphasis in DEI. And I know that I've never been recruited this way in my career of almost 20 years. So I also know that it won't last forever, or at least that's my hunch, that we, you know, it's waves of focus, right? So I think that I'm not alone in being a female Latina in tech, being kind of really recruited to, and having all these messages from talent and from wonderful companies saying, hey, apply and come and work with us. Yeah. But when we talk about underrepresentation, the issue doesn't stop there, right? One thing is to be called to participate, which is the first step and it's a wonderful step. But when I think about women, I think about in general, we are typically caretakers in some way, shape or form. As Latin women, if we look at demographics alone, we are actually earning less and have lower wages. Our families are larger and we tend to take care of extended families just as part of a cultural kind of fabric that it is the Latin culture. So when you think, and when I have put to thought how much time I actually spent to prepare for the interviews, by updating my LinkedIn, updating my resume, thinking about what does my social media presence look like, then came into interview prep. Once you get that first call and that first kind of like go through that first pass, right? And you think, I have to do company research. I have to understand the role. And that takes a little bit of time. And then you think, who am I going to meet? And you try to potentially meet people in the company or see who you know, understand a little bit better the culture there, be truly prepared for those uh, panels. And if you're lucky and you get through those panels, then you have to do projects and do presentations and demonstrate that product um, ability and expertise in some way. Some of these, I was told, oh, it'll take you four hours. That is the norm it's probably a lot more than that. Yeah. And I spend weekends working on, well, for me, joyous <laughs> projects, but it was a lot of time. So from a privileged perspective where I don't have children, where I've been working in product already and it's over a decade, doing this and being able to take that time wasn't as hard and Pan will know how tired we were after like the exhausted rounds, right? So I can only imagine for a mom, for somebody younger, for somebody that doesn't have that level of experience, for some, for some women who have multiple jobs, who are trying to break into technology, that ask is huge in terms of time, yeah. energy and focus. And not only to top that off, you need support from your friends, from your family, and you need a network, right? Yeah. 
So what about those women that don't even have a network? And um, I really think and have gravitated to the work of women in product for that reason. Because yeah. without organizations like this, there is no hope for those people that are, you know, a few steps behind. What sets them behind has nothing to do with their potential, interest, curiosity, and ability. Right. The, the stage is more set around where they grew up, their background, what they're earning right now, and the ability of time and energy to be able to get in that space. So when I think about underrepresentation, I think, what is my role in bringing that to light to my organization where I work so that we can create more flexibility, right? Um, talk to you, talk to Pam, talk to the people that we know so that we are a little bit more conscious as hiring managers and as people that are outside in the community being leaders in the product world who I can do an interview prep with somebody for free. I can look at a resume for free. Um, and I love thinking that I'm lucky, I'm privileged. What is my responsibility back to that community and that space? But that's the reality of underrepresentation if we're really honest with ourselves. Yeah. And Pam, do you want to? I absolutely agree with Paula because this is something that we both feel about, we feel um, very strongly about. So we're, you know, we're always comparing notes, going to conferences together, meeting people and thinking, where are the rest of the people that look like us, right? Like where are our peers, you know, similar to her, I think um, my priorities definitely shifted in terms of what I care about in a product organization. And I see that right now there's so many diverse opportunities for women like us. But in my opinion, you know, there's still a lot of barriers to entry for a lot of these candidates. And, you know, I can dedicate a weekend to preparing for interviews, to preparing a presentation, to um, doing mock interviews, but there's people that can't for the reasons that Paula stated, and additionally, you know, some people also have um, financial resource restrictions, right? We're lucky yeah. enough to already be in product and we can, you know, I believe in, in preparation. And, but I think some people, even if they do believe in preparation, they just don't have the resources to dedicate to prep materials and coaching and resume review and certification courses. And so, you know, it's hard without all of that when you're competing with people that do have those resources to really bring your best self to the interview, right? Because already there, you're at a disadvantage. And yeah. I think in particular for candidates that want to break into product, for example, something like a certification course could give them good credibility. But some of those courses are $2,000, right? That's not, yeah. that's not cheap. Um, the prep materials, I've seen some that, you know, are in the $500 range. It's still a big investment. And even then, it doesn't guarantee that they're going to get in because they don't have the experience. And so, you know, I recognize that not a, a lot of people are in a position where they can, you know, be at the top of preparation in, in both in time and cost. And I think, Additionally, the jobs that I found the most interesting is where I felt like my expertise was going to be valued, but also where I felt like I connected with the people I was interviewing with. So mm -hmm. for me, one of the biggest things now is diversity. And I can tell you, having interviewed with several companies, the diversity is just not there. Most of them, there, there is absolutely no diversity whatsoever in product, not even on gender, you know, definitely not on race. The other thing that I think why I think Latinas are at a disadvantage going into these interviews is I think the connection to identity makes mo most candidates very confident 
that they can be successful in a particular environment. There's a slim chance that you're going to be applying for a PM role and that the person interviewing you at the other side is another Latina. That interview environment, it really leans on self-motivation, self-education, self-preparation, but the companies only have to pick you because of your background, right? So that the candidates has to do all the work, has to, you know, figure out a way to get in. But what are the companies doing to welcome you into that environment? What are they doing to give you the tools to help you prepare for that if you don't have the resources? What are they doing to connect you with people within their network that look like you to kind of guide you through that process? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think you both raise incredibly good points here. And I think that they are, you know, part of a bigger picture that exists, uh, you know, industry-wide currently, which is nobody trains people anymore, right? And we see that in our data all the time. Um, and also in the job requirements that we see from people, right? They often depend on, well, we're looking for people who have five years of experience in product management. And I'm like, how is somebody going to get five years of product management experience? Like, you know, yes, there are some companies that have associate product management um, programs, but that's a very small number of people, right? The vast majority of people who are coming into this field just, you know, they're scrambling to figure out how to get the training. And you're right, oftentimes, especially women are paying for that training for themselves. And that's a huge barrier to entry, I think. And that's one of the things that I hear you guys saying in spades here, right? If we really want to increase the you know number of Latinas in this space, we have to make an investment in helping them, in training them and working with them and helping them find the right positions, encouraging them, giving them that support network. So um, I think it's, it's a great point. And hopefully as a group, we can do some things to, you know, at least make that situation better. Absolutely. I wanted to add also that I think even just talking about it, right? When you are looking for a job, you're in your most vulnerable. Yeah. You can be the most confident person in the world, but getting introduced to somebody, especially in this environment, over a camera, being asked to demonstrate your expertise on the spot with questions that you don't know that are coming. Yes, you can, again, invest a lot of time to try to predict that um, and spend a lot of preparation, but it's such a vulnerable spot. And I think that one awareness, if you know that's what you're getting into, it's important. The fact that Pam and I talked about that effort and time that it takes and potential uh, actual expense, not only in terms of time, but in terms of like really getting prepared, just made me be so much more empathetic of everybody that I interviewed. Yes. Moving forward. And then you start thinking about, okay, how do you empower that candidate? I think like just paying attention, really paying attention and be open to being blown away by a surprise candidate is an important thing. Challenging your talent organization to not bring you resumes from the same places, uh, questioning whether the level and the years of experience and the bullet points in that job description 
as hiring, I'm a hiring manager and I feel like I have become empowered in some ways, not because somebody told me, but by my own experience to really be thinking about that. Mm -hmm. And my wish is that whoever hears that, right, knows, wow, I am doing all the work as a job seeker. So then when that balance shifts, right, when you get past the first interview, the panel interview, and when you're like, ooh, an offer is coming my way, take that power not only to negotiate compensation, take that power to ask questions. Yeah. Ask all the questions. Ask to meet the teams that you're going to work with. Ask to talk to your manager further about the product. Take that. Don't just be thankful. I come from a family of immigrants, a family of where I'm the first one to come to school in the U.S. and first generation to graduate and stay in the U.S., And I realized that I come from a background of be thankful for everything. Everybody's doing you a favor. You have to bow and say thank you with everything. And one of the things that I've come to understand very deep in my career is that actually this is an exchange. For every great thing that I've received from the leaders, the mentors, the companies that that I've worked for, I've also brought something to the table that is special, important, and that has open awareness across many different people. So you kind of have to believe that in order to make that impact, right? So I love that we're talking about this because, yeah, changing the world is hard. But if you don't talk about it and start like breaking the problem down like a good product person, right? Where does it start? Where does it end? Like I want to see organizations and the new organization where I work start thinking about how I'm going to make that environment once that job offer is accepted a great environment for a diversity candidate because it doesn't stop at the offer and getting in. No, that just, that's just the start. That's not the end. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, it's like, it's a whole, it's a whole path. Right. And that's the moment when I'm going to be like, I am so proud, right. To interview as a Latina. And there's a bunch of Latinas in product interviewing you, <laughs> you know, like that's going to be a great moment. Yeah. Pam, do you want to add something? Yeah. I think on the point that, Paola brought up in terms of having empathy. I mean, I've also interviewed um, candidates in the past and I always, you know, try to make them feel comfortable because I know like how nervous people can get. But also I think that's why Paola and I are so invested in mentoring other Latinas or just underrepresented talent, because we know how hard it is to get in. We know how hard even for your resume to be looked at um, by a recruiter. I mean, I've had people reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'm always happy to send their resume along to coach them, to talk to them. I've even invited people to the office to talk to them about their career. And mm -hmm. I think that's what we need to do more of. We are in a position of privilege, right? We need to bring all the other women along with us. Yeah. I mean, you two have brought up like two things that have been really front and center for us as a team, for women in product as a team. And the first one is this notion of sort of you know, peer coaching. I mean, you two made this great duo working on your job searches together, encouraging one another, you know, providing that, that support system. I think it's incredibly valuable to have that, right? You know, to have somebody else who understands what you're going through or, you know, a few people and that will help you and help you draw on resources, help you make connections, whatever. But that peer coaching is really, really important. Um, and not just in finding a new job, but also 
for people who are thinking about asking for a promotion or, you know, whatever it might be, or a raise or, um, you know, all of those things. And then the second thing is, um, Paula, you just did such a beautiful job of talking about this, but that confidence, right? There's so often that I talk to women who are incredibly accomplished, right? And they're like, oh, I don't know, you know, I'm not sure I should. And, you know, we get into the conversation, I don't know, you know, a couple minutes into it, and that will flip pretty quickly. Like you just start to point out to them all of their accomplishments and, you know, having that confidence to say like, you know, I'm good at what I do, right? And um, this may or may not be the position for me, but I know that I'm good. And I know that there is there are great places for me. Um, it, it makes a big difference when you come at things with that level of confidence, right? It just, it gets read differently. Um, so, yeah. So I wanted to also ask you guys about major obstacles that you've faced in your careers and sort of how did you overcome them? Um, you know, Pam, maybe you'd like to start on this one, but, you know, what are some of the things that have come up that you've had to deal with or overcome? I think in large cross-functional organizations, there's a lot of due diligence to be done to remove barriers and obstacles. And sometimes those things have nothing to do with products. So for example, being a Latina, it's sometimes a lot more work to build a network. Um, I remember, you know, even not just in products, but in finance, right? Everybody comes from Harvard or Stanford, or they were on the crew team together, or they played football together, or they grew up in the same town because it's always the same pedigree of people that are in finance. And so there was always people that came in already existing, you know, already having an ex existing network that immediately puts you at a disadvantage. I think people tend to trust what they're familiar with, what they can identify with. They, they tend to sometimes also promote people where they see themselves reflected in that person. And for example, you know, what I, what I've seen in my, you know, or being in product or being in finance is that people, particularly men love to talk about sports and sports is just not something that's huge for me. I mean, I, you know, I'm Mexican. Yeah, we love soccer, but no one in the United States speaks about soccer, right? So yes, I can talk about the Mexican team never getting to the finals at the World Cup, but everybody wants to talk about American football, which is something that I know nothing about, right? And so in that sense, it's difficult for me to connect when those side conversations are ha happening in the pantry at, or, you know, even before meetings. And so that's something that I can't connect with people on because it's just not something that's of interest to me. It's not something that I grew up with. Um, but I think, you know, what I've, I've tried to do to overcome those obstacles is to still try to find ways to connect with other people, to build a strong network, which has then allowed me to acquire a significant amount of reputational capital. It just takes a lot more work and you just have to focus on what do you bring to the conversation. I find that most people love to talk about themselves love to talk about their accomplishments. And so I tend to be a really good listener. And so, you know, a lot of people loved talking to me because I listen and try to provide them with guidance or perspective. And so that's really helped me. Paula? I, I learned something new about Pam right now. One, well, one, I want to confirm she's a great listener. 
Uh, but two, I'm going to suggest that she starts a U.S. women fantasy soccer league <laughs> in her new gig. That's right. what's going to do it for her in getting into sports, you know, like and like shifting the conversation there. Um, there's endless stories. I mean, I've shared many things that Pam and I laugh as a Latina person working professionally that you're like, oh, my God, how did I get over that? Um, you know, and you can call it name calling and it's very subtle, right? Mm -hmm. It's like in the way that you express yourself, um, in the way that you dress, in the way that you enter a room um, or that you bring attention to yourself, right? Where you, as a woman, sometimes have to raise your voice so that it can actually be heard in the room, right? So I have those experiences. But when I think about the product career specifically um, and think about this question, one of the major obstacles and barriers that I had to really get over was not having the title of product manager. Yeah, I worked my entire career delivering product, having tangential titles as an individual contributor. And when I became a manager, I was really honed in in how difficult it had been for me. And I really pushed for my organization to start the calling out the names of the roles that we actually had you know, the product owner, the program manager, the product manager, different from the project manager. Um, that felt really important to me early on. Uh, but one of the ways that I really did overcome it, other than changing jobs, <laughs> was to think about actually the skill set and really truly start believing if I'm doing the job and I can, because I started doing the job without knowing what I was doing, you need a little bit of distance, right? And when you get the distance and you're like, okay, I am doing this. I can explain where I have this competency and where I have demonstrated. I am building objectives, creating a roadmap, developing a vision, um, driving metrics, looking at my metrics, looking at data. So I feel like I overcame by like really focusing on the step down below the title. And I know that that can be really hard because right now the profession is very hot, right? You've shared a story, Pam and I share a story, you've shared Dev's story. Most of us that have been in the career for a while didn't start with that title, didn't start with that concept. So yeah. I think that that's something very important to overcome. And I see that in young women, yeah. that they're trying to get to like where the title is product. And I'm like, Look tangentially, there's so many other roles that will require a little less, but are going to get you the proximity that you need to make that jump. It's a, you make a, a great point here. I mean, I, I see it all the time and titles do matter, right? It's very wise to make a point of, let's be clear about what I'm doing here and what that title should be. Yeah. For me, one of the biggest challenges as you grow and climb that ladder in getting to potentially this wonderful chief executive spaces is that the administrative load of what you have to do to run a product organization can really kind of put a damper on how close you are to the pulse of the thing that you loved. Yeah. And I love seeing higher kind of like the equivalent of a senior architect and engineer mm -hmm. in product, this high important positions that are still individual contributors because I, not everybody's meant to be a manager. There is that administrative load. I cannot say that I've overcome that balance. 
I do know that I love coaching and managing teams and sitting with engineers. So I know that that managerial path was probably meant for me, but it's not meant for everyone. And, you know, seeing this profession developing to, I can be an IC, like an, as an individual contributor, have such great impact without having to feel that being a manager is the thing that's going to get me there because there is that load of things that have nothing to do with product yeah. um, that you have to take very seriously in order for your product organization to be successful. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I, I want to switch gears here. I, it's, um, it's interesting to hear about some of the challenges. And I think you guys have, um, you know, given a really uh, good view on that. You know, some of them are just sort of built in, in terms of where people get recruited from and these networks of people. And some of it is, you know, subtle in terms of how people get treated as an outsider. And some of it is overt. We all know that at some point in time, you know, that there are things that are overt. So I want to kind of switch it up and say, were there any, uh, you know, perspectives or skills or experiences that you had as Latinas that really helped you succeed? Because, I also think that it's important for people to see that sometimes being different also confers benefits, right, in terms of doing the job. So, um, Paula, if you want to, you know, take a, take a dive at that and see. Yeah. Um, what, what That sounds, you know, I always say it sounds super corny to say, but it's like really who you are and the very specific things that you are, are what end up making you very special. And it's too bad that sometimes we realize that too late. Yeah. We're all trying to fit in and be like other people. And we look up to people to a degree that we want to be like them. And it's like, no, actually, you have to carve in your own space. For me, when I think perspective about being Latina, I have this thing about my accent and my voice that I always think about. But being bilingual and having worked in the educational space to me, that's a perspective that has served me almost in every aspect of my career growth. Mm-hmm. When you speak a second language, you become curious about finding and testing the clarity of your words as you hear them in your head and translate them to somebody else. And in the career space, you start feeling that when you work with teams cross-functionally, especially if those teams are also global especially if the organizations are large. And then as you grow in how you talk to your managers and senior leaders, I always say, I will always work on an executive presence that I need to find for myself because the executive presence that I've seen that I admire are people so different from me that they sound not like I'm ever going to sound. I cannot imitate that. And yet I can admire it. That's a really particular good skill set as a product manager because you represent so many people. Like with your engineers, you're representing your users and your stakeholders. With your manager, you're representing the sprint teams and their work. Um, When you are presenting outside to your users, you're representing your entire company. So you are playing, like putting a hat that is different And that language has to be different every time, right? So unpacking that and feeling like you have like really good, precise control 
welcomes empathy, welcomes the cultural differences, and it makes you a better listener and a better collaborator with others. Yeah. So I recommend it. Yeah. Being bilingual, it's the best. I feel lucky and privileged that it happened for me easy, but now there's so many tools out there. Go and learn second language. <laughs> That's great. PM, do you want to add in there? Yeah, I agree with that. I, I didn't learn English until I was six. Um, and, and I think with a second language also comes cultural curiosity and awareness, which is um, something that, that Paula mentioned. I think it's because I'm Latina, I guess it's I've always loved learning about other people. And I've always been very curious about their cultures, the upbringing, the countries that they're from, their values, their interests, and in particular, the food, because I'm I'm a really big foodie. And so I find that that's always a common interest that I share with people and that I can connect with others. Whereas I couldn't connect on American football. I can always talk about restaurants and food and in, in pretty much any cuisine in the world. I think the other thing as a Latina, but probably for most people who are uh, children of immigrants is that I saw a really strong work ethic at home. My mother had three jobs. She didn't speak English. And I really saw how hard she struggled, right? So any sort of challenge that I've had in the workplace, any sort of obstacle to me, I still feel like I'm in such a position of privilege versus where my mother was that nothing really phases me. I mean, nothing. And that's why I think I got through investment banking so successfully. I mean, when they said, oh, you're going to have to work 80 hours or more than 80 hours, I said, well, that's what I've seen my whole life. My mom would wake up at 5 a.m., work until really late at night, seven days a week. So to me, right, I think that's made me a very strong um, collaborator, contributor, um, and also just that connection with people where um, I'm genuinely interested in learning more about where they come from and what their story is. Yeah, that that that's such a great reminder. I mean, of, you know, you know, quite frankly, the immigrant experience and how it shapes people. It's important. It makes a big difference. So, so um, I want to jump forward a little bit and um, talk a little bit about advice. So, you know, what is the one piece of advice that you would give to Latinas who are considering a career in tech and why they might choose product? Pam, you want to dive in on that one? If there are people out there that are interested in choosing product, the advice I always give them is before you invest a lot of time and resources into this, just read Inspired by Marty Kagan. I think to me, it's been the best book on product management, what product management is about, how it works, what you need to be successful. If reading that, which provides a blueprint, to what you can do to be successful. If reading that gets you really excited, then start looking into various blogs, start networking with other people, attending conferences like the, your conference, the Women in Product, and also make sure to reach out to people that are already doing the job on LinkedIn, right? Sometimes a role can sound really interesting on paper, but then you dig a little bit deeper and you realize, oh, maybe that's not a great fit. So again, before... I think investing, it's worth your time to read a, read that book, but to also do a lot of due diligence, ask a lot of the questions, reach out to people on LinkedIn, join free events, try to do a project with maybe a friend, 
try to find, you know, an engineering friend, maybe a volunteer opportunity where you can do some of the work and then really see if it's a good fit and you enjoy it. Yeah. Paula. I love that. Um, I have a different approach because I'm less of an intellectual reader than Pam is. <laughs> I'll, I always say I'm a straight shooter. So we've established in this conversation that as a Latina, you're likely not going to find a crew immediately in your first role of Latinas in product that are going to guide you along the path. So if you need that, and many of us do as community people that we are, that's probably not going to be the way. But if you are that person that wants to take the flag, right, and walk that line where you're going to feel lonely, doing a very ambiguous job, um, face a lot of change with people that are not very similar to you, um, many of whom have been doing this possibly for longer, um, that is going to be a lonely space. But to me, the joy comes in like having zero and then something that is existing. There is very few ways to describe what that feels like. I will always remember the release notes as a, oh my God, that just, there was nothing and now there's something. And the moment that you see people creating accounts, logging in, interacting with the product, I mean, and seeing, they, you're like, oh my God, there's people there. People like it. People are using it. And then you get shouted at and get complaints and everybody hates it. And you're like, oh my God, this is so hard. But then you make a fix or add something that really solves a problem and you get a personal thank you note. It feels like you're in the clouds. So if that is the type of joy, right, that it's very kind of like on the polar opposites where things are like really hard, not existing, very ambiguous. But then kind of like the other side of that coin is this amazing sense of accomplishment. What I would say is like, don't choose it because of the pay scale. Don't choose it because it seems like the hot ticket. There's many ways to try it. And I guarantee within the women in product community or LinkedIn, Pam is right. You reach to any of us that feel excited by it and we will tell you everything about it. Um, and we are willing to share that experience, right? So find out if that's the thing that, you know, like turns you on. Because I think like that's that's really joyous when you find that in your career, in your working life. Yeah, I mean, that is so much the case. I mean, I hear that all the time about, you know, people in product, they love their builders, right? Like they love that creation that like, oh, it was just this idea or somewhat of an idea. And then now here it is. And it just it feels profound, you know, there's this incredible sense of accomplishment, especially as a team, when you accomplish something, it just feels so good, so powerful. So, so before we go, any advice for those who are already in the field? Give back to your community. We, especially if you're already in product, you know how hard it was to get in. Or if you're moving up within your product career, you know the challenges that we all face as women, um, as diverse candidates. And so try to make sure that, you know, we, we do help others because we need to help bring each other along as we move up in our careers. The only way that product is going to become more diverse and is that, that is going to have more perspective or diverse perspectives 
is if we help each other kind of move through um, our careers and if we help more like people like us uh, get into product. Yeah. Paola? A hundred percent with Pam. I, I feel like it's all about community. It's all about helping each other. But I always say, and I've told this to Pam too, you can be good, extremely good at any one thing. But if you're not confident about it, goes nowhere. Yeah. So to anybody who's starting, be confident in whatever it is that you've studied, that you've practiced, that you've put attention to. To anybody who's already a leader in these organizations that are big, that have a lot of power, and that open the possibilities for a lot of other people, be mindful of the power that you have. Mm. Be confident to take that power. Don't expect somebody else to create a diversity, equity, inclusion profile for the job you're hiring. Don't expect somebody else to make your team inclusive. Don't wait for HR to give you the guidelines on how to do that. And I'm like, if you're passionate and interested and curious, which is, has been a theme in the, the, our conversation and the world of product, um, a little bit of investment from you in equipping yourself with the ability and the knowledge will make you so much more confident as a leader. And that's really going to move the needle for everybody else. So I really do believe that anybody, I mean, just you are a perfect example, Elizabeth. You called us, you wanted to have this conversation. I don't think that we get called weekly to talk about these topics, right? But I appreciate it and it's super valuable because it brings light to maybe some topics that not everybody hears or has the opportunity to experience. So for anybody out there, I say, be leaders, bring you and the things that you see and make something out of that. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. You know, I just want to say, first of all, thank you to both of you for taking the time to talk to me. It's been great. Um, I know that there are women out there. I think I know there are Latinas out there that are going to be incredibly inspired to hear from both of you. And quite frankly, I think there's just going to be a lot of people who are going to be inspired by you. You're both really amazing um, and, you know, formidable women. So thank you so much for taking the time. And, you know, I really look forward to working with you and other people to get more Latinas into the field. I think that there's an incredible opportunity there and we need them. We need them. So thank you. Thank you for listening today. Thanks also to our partners, Facebook, Google, PayPal, and Upwork, who provide annual support for the work of Women in Product and our community. This podcast is an original production of Women in Product. Our music today was provided by Crowander, the instrumental music project of David Sate. Follow us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review so that others can discover us. Android users find us on Spotify or share this episode with others who you think would find it interesting. If you have any questions or suggestions for future guests or topics, you can reach us at podcast.womeninproduct at gmail.com.